knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Stop disqualifying yourself. And that goes for any man, woman, black, white, brown, or whatever, right? Our weaknesses should not be in the forefront of our minds. We should play on our strength. That goes for fishing. You know, if you think about when we fish, we know those streams, right? We know where to go to catch. We build on our strengths and visualize success. Since 1936, the National Wildlife Federation has worked with hunters and anglers to pass the most important conservation laws of American history and to protect our sporting traditions. This podcast explores our history, our values, and the work we do to safeguard the fish and wildlife that fuel our passions. We are NWF Outdoors. Howdy, welcome to the NWF Outdoors podcast. This is your host, Aaron Kindle. Today, I have a special guest that I've been trying to get on for quite some time, and I'm, I'm really happy she could join me. You know, today we have Mamie Parker. How are you today, Mamie? Thanks for joining. Aaron, thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity, and I want to just give you, uh, celebrate you for a wonderful podcast and, and some great, great uh, opportunities to learn a lot about uh, the work of not only the National Wildlife Federation, but just conservation in general. So thank you for having me. Thank you, man. That was that was nice of you to say. I appreciate that. I'm just going to tell <laughs> folks about you a little bit uh, before we get going. And then uh, and then from there, we will jump into some cool questions. Uh, Mamie is a biologist by trade. She has a PhD from University of Wisconsin-Madison, is that correct, Mamie? I'm trying to remember where. That's correct. Okay. Yeah. And she's a, she's a conservationist, a biologist. She's an executive coach, an inspirational speaker. She's, she's a really unique and wonderful person, and we're lucky to have her. And we'll get into a little bit of how she got to be where she is and the journey that that took. Uh, but, but we'll just start, Mamie. You know, you were one of the I think you were the first woman to lead the head of the fisheries division, uh, first African-American woman at the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Obviously, you know, to get there at all, it, it's really neat. And then your childhood and your life outdoors, something led you there. Uh, and so let's just jump in and talk about where you grew up and, you know, how you got connected to the outdoors from, from early childhood. Just give us that story, please. Sure, sure. And um, I always get emotional when I have a chance to tell the story. Uh, I'm getting better at it now, Aaron. Uh, but I, 
I grew up in the Mississippi Delta, not too far from Stuttgart, Arkansas. And I know many of the hunters out there are familiar with Stuttgart, Arkansas. However, Arkansas is also known, of course, to be a great place to do bass fishing. Yes. And so I grew up right on, uh, yeah, right. So I grew up right on the uh, Louisiana border in Southeast Arkansas, uh, near the Mississippi River. And so uh, right in the Delta and, um, my mother was uh, an outdoor woman without knowing that term back in the day, right? Uh, but she was always outdoors, either fishing or gardening or, or, you know, or just walking, you know, having to walk. We, so we lived in a rural community and uh, that was just a place that we learned to enjoy uh, nature and Arkansas is called a natural state. So we had a lot of, of great opportunities down there. Uh, my first experience in, in uh, fishing in the outdoors was um, on the Overflow Creek National Wildlife Refuge. That's what it's called now. Uh, and Bayou Bartholomew, which is the longest bayou in the world, over 367 species of fish and wildlife there. And so that's where I got my start and, uh, and, and learned to enjoy the outdoors. Uh, of course, I was in and out because sometimes teased about being outdoors as a woman and a, a young woman. At, so sometimes I wouldn't want to be seen outdoors because <laughs> I wanted to be cool, right? <laughs> uh, but I tell people that a number of the girls in my ninth grade class were were pregnant in the ninth grade. Oh, wow. And now they're grandmothers and and on their way to be great grandmothers. And it's simply, I tell people all the time, Aaron. Had I not been fishing, I would have been kissing. <laughs> so that's, that was my journey <laughs> to get there. And I, I really believe that nature saved me. Well, that's awesome. I love that, that nature has that healing and saving power. And I, I love when, when I hear people that have gotten to utilize it. So mm -hmm. obviously, a lot of time steeped in the outdoors, a mom that was influential. And then you decided to get into the sciences too. Yeah. And, and that led you all the way up to the head of the fisheries, you know, division for us fish and wildlife service, mm -hmm. which is a, it's a big position, obviously. Where, how about the, how about that gap young woman to, to getting outdoors to then, you know, very accomplished career and education. Tell us a little bit more about that gap. So, so ninth grade, Marvin Gaye had one of the first rhythm and blues songs out, and it was Mercy <laughs> Me. I don't know if you... Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know that one. That's a good one. Yeah. It's a good one, the ecology. And it says things are not like they used to be. And just recently, I was looking at my high school uh, graduation speech and uh, quoted him in that speech, but it was um, one of my teachers that introduced me uh, to Marvin Gaye and taught us, a science teacher, and taught us a lot about life lessons, too. Uh, and one of those, uh, we were inspired to see what we could do to, to do something better. But it talked about, it talked about, uh, mercury in the fish we eat. And I thought about it, yes. like, I eat a lot of fish because fish was a part of our diet too. You know, the protein in our diet came from the land. And so, um, we were inspired to do something. And so I was right away interested, but didn't have any role models, right? Because then you didn't see a lot of people outdoors. In fact, you mostly saw game wardens and uh, 
and that was that was it, you know, in terms of the outdoors. Hmm. But I, I went to college and I was studying um, science and biology and uh, got uh, an opportunity to do an interview with a guy that worked at U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, Hannibal Bolton. And Hannibal um, wanted uh, to find some individuals that were willing to go north. And, and so he convinced me and, and basically said, wouldn't it be great that you can uh, do what you like to do and get paid to do it? And most people don't have a chance to get paid to do their passion. And so I started my journey uh, by going to Wisconsin and, and working near the La Crosse area in, uh, on the Mississippi River and came back home, graduated and headed back to the University of uh, Wisconsin at Green Bay and worked at U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service uh, on that campus as well, and then moved down to the Madison area. And uh, from there, started a, a great career in, in fisheries, uh, but then had an interest in wildlife too. So I moved over to uh, fish and wildlife at, uh, in Columbia, Missouri. And so uh, in, in one of the Fish and Wildlife Services, Ecological Services Office, where I had a chance to work on wildlife as well as fisheries and, and Missouri River and Mississippi River, but doing a lot of work uh, in the boot hill of Missouri. So yeah, that's kind of how I got my start. And from there, it was just a journey of many different great moves, uh, working all over the country for the most part. I never worked west of the Mississippi River, um, not very long anyway. So uh, most of my experience was uh, on this part of, in this part of the world. So now I'm getting a chance to enjoy uh, the uh, west. In fact, we recently took a trip up uh, uh, the, uh, to the Canadian Rockies from Montana. And what a breathtaking trip you can imagine that was in September yeah. of the year. Yes. That's where, where my wife and I went after we got married. So I, I, I know that spot. Did you go all the way up to Banff? And... Yeah, we, we actually flew to Calgary and then went all the way up through Yoho and Kootenai and Banff and took a couple week road trip and camped and backpacked and it was it was pretty spectacular. Yes, that that is when people ask me my favorite place on this in uh, in the U.S. That's certainly at the top of my list. And you know the Glacier National Park, just all of those yeah. those Rockies there. It's just breathtaking. Yes, ma'am. Well, come out to Colorado where I live, and you're welcome anytime. And be where are you in Colorado? Uh, uh, about three hours southwest of Denver. So come come visit. We're up in the mountains and. Lots of good fishing and, and mountains and hiking and all kinds of good stuff here. So if you get out this way. Yeah. Yes, I will. I have some dear friends out that way. Noreen Clow at Fish and Wildlife Service and Matt Hogan. Uh, they're out out there. And so, yeah, we'll have to find a way uh, to make our way out there. And in fact, uh, I've been working with the Outdoor Writers Association recently, doing some consulting for them. And, great. you know, hearing a lot of great stories from Christine Peterson. Uh, Peterson. Yeah. Yeah. What a, what, oh my God, a progressive thinker. She's and, amazing. Uh, yeah. And yeah. She's my hero. <laughs> <laughs> We've had Christine on this podcast. So if you get a chance to go back and have a listen at that one, you might uh, enjoy that. She's a, she's a good, she's a good conservationist, good friend, and she's a awesome leader within the Outdoor Writers Association too. So 
we'll see more of her. We're we're getting more engaged there as well. Yeah, she's incoming president. Uh, chair, yeah, president. So, so yeah, get to- a couple other awesome people there too. Well, cool, Mamie. Uh, I should I should ask you to tell some sort of a fish story. <laughs> I mean, with your history, you've got to, either professionally or personally, you've got to have some story that just tops them all. Yeah, and if you sure. don't, that's okay too. But sure, and I'll yeah. tell you one that really tells you the type of person that I am when it comes to fishing, and it's not a lot about me and my personal experience fishing. It's about how do I build a grow awareness and get others to think about it. And how do I work with them to help them overcome their their fears, right? Because believe it or not, for us, because it's something that we do naturally and don't even think about it, there are so many people out there that, you know, they, they have fear that they don't understand it. And I say we have to look for opportunities to do what I call the three Ps. You know, we gotta help them learn to be prepared for fishing, right? And then we got to help them practice. And then we have to help them prevail when they're out there doing (laughs) it, right? So it's preparing, it's practicing and prevailing. And so one of my greatest fish stories, uh, we had an opportunity to do a retreat and we could go, decided we could go a number of different places for that retreat. And, uh, but we were going to be working, of course, but we were also going to be doing some team building. So taking a group of individuals on a a fishing trip on the Chesapeake Bay to catch stripers, striped bass, and having them to get up early in the morning in itself was a challenge for these non-anglers, right? And then then it was in October, so it was cold. And, you know, and before the sun came up, (laughs) Erin, you can imagine, they were all looking at me like, we followed you around a lot, but now we're pissed that you got (laughs) us out here on this boat in this cold. And, you know, you could just see that they were not very comfortable and they weren't totally dressed appropriately, particularly some of the administrative staff that was with us. But by the time the sun came up, you know, over the horizon, we we saw them, what I said, they recovered, restarted, and were renewed. Uh, and then to have a guide there that actually uh, helped them um, catch some stripers. Uh, it gives me chills now to think about that experience. And by the end of the day, we had some people that actually wanted to, to do it uh, more. They didn't. They weren't ready to get off the boat, and they, and they they it, it became a part of their uh, recreational um, activities. So isn't that great that you can start by uh, being creative and think of ways that um, that you don't always know about to get people outside? But um, uh, that's one of my favorite fishing uh, stories. Uh, and it, and it sticks. It warms Good. my heart to think about that. Well, thank you. And you came up with an alternative R three uh, right there too. Instead of recruit, retain, and reactivate, or whatever you, I, I can't remember what you were, what you said. But there was three different ones that were right in the same area there. So yeah. good job. We yeah. got another because one. Because this is what we have to do as we think about the fact that we we were coming out of COVID, uh, the pandemic itself, COVID nineteen, recover restart and renew you know we got 
Yeah, yeah, there you go. However, you work. know, we got to get over this. Some of us now, you know, we're outside and we spend a lot of time outside, but we also have to think about how do we build these bridges and and restart many relationships. You know, I have been around my husband now for 16 months and I haven't been around a whole lot of people. <laughs> Just the, you, you have to uh, think about what you want to do and, and um, how you want to keep some of these uh, things like fishing and the things we do outdoors uh, in our in our lives, but uh, also renew is what I'm hoping that we can can uh, you know uh, in the midst of all of this, we also went through some racial reckoning in this country as well. You know, so um, yeah. how do we how do we you know deal with not deal with it? How do we embrace it and determine how to make it? make it a better place for all of us. Sure. Well, I appreciate that. And, and we'll, let's give you a chance to talk about that as you, as you want, because, you know, you were a pioneer in, in your field for sure. Uh, you know, you were the, the first African-American woman to hold your position at the uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. You know, I know you've been, you've, you've gotten many awards, a presidential Meritorious Service Award, you know, you, you've been on uh, the Aquatic Nuisance Species Task Force, just hugely uh, accomplished career as a biologist and as a, as a fish and wildlife agency person. What was that like being a pioneer, you know, and, and, and what, who did you lean on? Who were your, you know, the people you look to as, as, as examples of how to do it and, and to, to grab, grab that strength for, for that kind of a, you know, groundbreaking career? Yeah, that's a good question and allows me to do some reflection. And my mother taught us a lot of, of poems and made us read a lot of great poetry uh, at, in, in our home. And uh, there's a poem that says, life for me has not been a crystal stair. It's had splinters and, and you know, in it, and but I keep on climbing. And uh, that poem is just all about what I believe is what we all have to do. We can make choices and we can choose darkness or light. And for me, uh, I chose, and, and it's hard sometimes because I have ebbs and flows. Some days I feel good about being and belonging and being a pioneer. And other days I, I think to myself, this stuff is hard and I'm tired. But the poem says, keep on climbing. And it's a, it's a mother talking to her son. And she says, and boy, don't you sit down on those stairs. You just keep on climbing. She didn't always say you had to walk, but she said, climb those stairs. And so as you can imagine, Aaron, uh, where were you raised? I guess I don't know that. Are you, were you raised in Colorado or in the, what part of, the, where did you, where were, what's your native? What? Wyoming and Colorado in the, in the real backwoods. Oh, real backwoods? Okay. <laughs> but for me, raised in the rural South, uh, as I said, as you can imagine, I was told in countless ways, both verbally and non-verbally, that I was not enough, enough. And as a pioneer conservationist, of course, I lived in isolation. I saw microaggressions, apathy, and in many cases, a lot of my colleagues, of course, uh, shared with me now that they knew that it was tough, but they it was easier for them to pretend it didn't exist, of course, because it's a very uncomfortable way to think about how you got to where you are or where you are. But now that we're in this 
new chapter in America, it's good to think about how I got there and what did I do to get there. And, um, you know, I had a lot of great supporters and mentors along the way. I had those allies that people are talking about now. Uh, whether it was in my first job in Wisconsin where I had never heard of a security deposit on an apartment and my boss loaned me, I think $236.15 or something like that. <laughs> but he was willing to take, <laughs> take a risk and take that investment, you know, in me. So, uh, you know, having individuals like that, I can recall living in New London, Minnesota and uh, all summer long sleeping on a, a beach cart. Uh, and so in a house on a national uh, fish hatchery, but being there in in Minnesota, there were some great people in the community that helped me as well uh, survive. Um, when I think about being in Green Bay, you know, learning and understanding other outdoor sports, you know, so I could survive, whether it was cross country skiing or whatever. I also, Aaron, learned to drink beer. <laughs> I have to be honest with you. But it didn't take you long to learn that one. <laughs> and then I was introduced to ice fishing as well. And uh, but just having people with that patience uh, to teach and and also to make a choice and to take a chance and to change what they might have thought about people that look like me. Both women, there weren't a lot of women in conservation when I started either. So um, so all of those things they. They certainly made a difference. And as we think about where we are in, in society now and what we need to do, to me, it's, it's no different than it was then for me in doing it. It's to move up and move back, you know? So, you know, we have to be flexible. Uh, they said, assume good intentions. You know, I, I am in the space of grace and mercy hmm. when it comes to a lot of people because uh, if I were not there, I wouldn't have stayed in, in this field as a pioneer, right? So uh, it's also expecting discomfort. And that's what we need to embrace it and realize that nothing changes unless something moves, right? And so we have to, to move ahead. So the, the things that were hard for me, I, I learned to overcome them and I learned to acknowledge them over time. I also got professional help when I needed it too to help me, uh, whether it was learning to speak, whether it was uh, learning to, um, you know, control my emotions and, and my anxiety, whatever it was, you know, I, I, got, I got the help that was necessary, either professionally or, or, or you know, from some experience. Well, that's, I, I, yeah, I love hearing that. It's, there's so much wisdom there and I, and I appreciate it. And it's, it's, it's nice to hear. And I'm trying to think, you know, what, if you had advice for a newcomer, maybe someone that has some uh -huh. challenges or some other things that maybe you faced or maybe not, but just, you know, but, but wants to get into the, the sciences and the outdoors and the, you know, mm -hmm. uh, wildlife fields, let's say, what, what would be your first piece of advice you think you'd give them? Well, I would tell them to be real careful about what I call biohacking. And that's that self-negative talk that we give each other 
and ourselves, mostly ourselves, right? Yeah. So I would tell them to stop disqualifying yourself. And that goes for any, any, any man, woman, black, white, brown, or whatever, right? Don't we yeah. always disqualify ourselves, you know? So, um, you know, the, our weaknesses should not be in the forefront of our minds. You know, they should be, we should play on our, on our strength. That goes for fishing. You know, if you think about when we fish, you know, <laughs> we, we know those streams, right? We know where to go to catch. We, we, we build on our, our strengths. We don't build on uh, going out there uh, thinking about what we don't know uh, over time. So, uh, so, so blocks versus victory, you know, and visualize success. My mother told me when we were first time I, I went fishing with her, I can recall being frustrated because I didn't, was not catching fish like she was. And she said, Mamie, you need to really see that fish at the end of your line, you know, and, and, and you have studied this, these waters too. So you'll know where to go and, and what, where to fish and where to cast, you know, and whether it's in rock piles, undercuts, you know, or coves or whatever it is, we need to be ready. So I say that be prepared too. So when you first start, you know, don't disqualify yourself. Think about your victories. Think, uh, understand the culture of the Fish and Wildlife Service and conservation, but also, um, also uh, know where to go and where to get the, the help that you need along the way. And I would also say be open to, because conservationists, what I found them to be was a bunch of uh, hippies, you know, Uh, old and new hippies, right? (laughs) And so they're progressive anyway, most of them in their thinking. And so I remember my mother would line us up in the mornings a lot of times when we got ready to go out and she'd say, you know, you are Parker Rollins. So, you know, be proud of that. And that's still something that's, that's really prideful in my family is to, is to be proud. But, but, but she'd also say you're part of a family. So I would say that in my mind, um, the conservation people that are in this field are some of the most genuine, uh, generous, the most love and kind people. And when I say they're progressive, Aaron, you think about when you plant you know, all the trees, when I worked in, in, uh, in the Southeast at Fish and Wildlife Service, I was the deputy uh, fisheries, uh, you know, assistant regional director, but also we did a lot of work in, in uh, planting uh, trees and, and rebuilding a lot of the Mississippi Delta down there in the Partners for Fish and Wildlife program. And what I noticed is that people were okay understanding that they planted a tree that might take 40 years before it's fruit bearing and that it could actually help, um, you know, you know, wildlife. And, and I think that that's one thing I would tell a new person too, is that it's not going to come right away. You got to be really, really patient and, and have that, the fact to know that, you know, life might be hard, but life is long too for most of us, right? And and that they should be encouraged uh, to keep trying. Well, I, I love all of that. I, <laughs> it reminds me of some of the things I tell my kids, right? Because uh, 
you know, the worst someone can tell you when you're trying to do something is no. And then you try again and you keep, you keep plugging away. And, uh, it's not right. the fear of rejection. I think, you know, you touched on so many things there. For instance, you know, kids nowadays, they're, they're used to more instant gratification. Their rejection comes in more forms, social media, all these different things. They're dealing with a lot of different ways to look at things, but yeah, keep, keep pushing and, uh, find your support group. You, you gave several different pieces of advice, find some good mentors, some, some people who care, uh, lean on them, ask them, ask them their stories. And now let's pause for a message from our partner podcast. Hey everyone, this is Marsha Brownlee from Artemis Sports Women. We know you love awesome stories about hunting, fishing, and conservation. So head on over to the Artemis Podcast. You'll meet adventurous, accomplished women who are redefining conservation through their lives in the field and on the water. Filled with humor, audacity, empathy, and intelligence, Artemis brings you new voices and introduces you to women from all walks of the sporting community. Find Artemis wherever you get your podcasts. Let's talk about your time at the Fish and Wildlife Service a little bit. You, you were there for 30 years, and, uh, man, you, you saw a lot, both, both, you know, whether it was some seminal conservation moments, whether it was changed through the agencies, whether it was new refuges. I mean, what do you think, you know, you look back on that, maybe just walk through some of your neatest achievements and some of the challenges you saw and how things changed while you were there. Yeah, so uh, I'll kind of start at the end and, and work backwards. At the end of my career at Fish and Wildlife Service, I had worked for five, I believe, uh, presidential appointees directly for them, whether it was as, you know, we talked about chief of fisheries in this country, but I also had a job as the uh, special assistant to the director and deputy director of the agency, which is like the chief of staff. And so watching uh, them and learning that um, the political swing in this in this country, as you can imagine, we saw it all <laughs> during that time. And what, yeah. what I, I noticed yeah. is over time, what we got right is is really a lot more collaboration, right? That when we first when I first got into the service, Fish and Wildlife Service, I saw a lot of stovepipes, both inside the agency. I, I didn't always see a lot of, of um, working together with other organizations. There was some with the states, because I give the states a lot of credit for, uh, whether it was in Wisconsin, where I learned about wetlands, uh, you know, or in Minnesota, where I learned about freshwater species, fish species, or in Missouri, where, or Missouri, where, where they taught me so much those biologists did, whether it was learning about bats, endangered species, pallet sturgeon, all the work that I had a chance to do there, it was because of the state. So over time, I've seen uh, really the Fish and Wildlife Service and and the states in many cases come closer together. There's still work to be done, but finding some of those common goals and working through those. Um, I've also seen, as you can imagine, uh, a lot more women in leadership positions uh, over time in Fish and Wildlife Service and in conservation, which I think that yes. brought about collaboration too, because that's something you know. I I, I believe that that's 
one of the strengths of, of women is understanding uh, that, that it's important to do that. So I've seen that. I've seen it transition from game to, um, you know, non-game over the years, you know, as you can imagine where non-game is so important. And in fact, here in the Commonwealth of Virginia, I have the privilege of serving, uh, had the privilege of serving as the chair of the Department of Wildlife Resources. And one of the things that we did as chair of that board was to change the name from the Department of Game and Inland Fisheries to the Department of Wildlife Resources. And again, being more comprehensive in, in, in how we look at, um, at, you know, wildlife and fisheries. So, um, and I could go on and on about how technology really made a difference, right? <laughs> this art GIS, you know, when I first started, uh, doing the, the wildlife yeah. work, I was getting topo maps and having to look on cars and my markers there where I was drawing out where I was going to go to look at a wetland <laughs> before uh, they were, you know, usually my work there was to look at uh, proposed projects that had federal permits or or federal dollars and, and make sure that they, you know, someone had to look out for the best interests of the, of the fish and wildlife resources. And that was one of the voices that we had at Fish and Wildlife Service and the, and the state. And so now, you know, that's a whole different way. We have drones looking at some of these areas where I had to go trekking through, you know, miles of, of cotton fields or streams or, you know, long streams to see what now uh, our scientists don't have to do that. So a big change in, in that regard. Do you think I miss it, missed anything, Aaron? <laughs> No, I mean it's a, it's kind of it's hard to to synthesize thirty years too, right? I mean all the things that you watch change. I I, I kind of got a little uh, nostalgia going there when you talked about using real maps instead of you know apps on your phone. And I remember the the days I would go in the woods and have a pack, you know, three or four seven point five minute topo maps in my pocket and triangulating and doing all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And now nobody does that anymore, but. <laughs> it, it, it's good. Not anymore, but I'll tell you one other thing. The one other thing that I, I I hope changes more, and I see it happening. There's a lot of emphasis on endangered species, and a lot of money. I've watched Fish and Wildlife Service invest a lot of money in endangered species, whether it's recovery, whether it's uh, making sure that. Uh, you know, consulting Section 7 consultations on, you know, permits mm -hmm. and projects. And I always felt like, is this being as proactive or are we being reactive? And 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 what scale are we looking at? Um, but over time, I thought it's, more, it's as important for us to think about species that are endangered and threatened as it is for us to think about, you know, species that are imperiled species and those that are in good shape, right? So um, I've seen over time that shift a little bit. I'd like to see it shift more. And also invasive species, to me, that's a bigger conservation problem, especially on the aquatic yes. side, but also terrestrial too. As you think about climate change mm -hmm. 
and what we're seeing with some of the species that are traveling north um, and, and, and what they're doing to the native species. I've had the privilege of working on the Asian carp yeah. in the Mississippi River and going fishing with my brother out there and him giving me a, um, a garbage can <laughs> top. And I was like, what is this for? And he was like, you'll see. And these silver carp <laughs> jumping out of the water in some of the streams. Um, and, and, you know, so in, in Juris, uh, wildlife species, aquatic nuisance species, whether it's zebra mussels or, you know, some of the other ones, sea lamprey or some of those species are as important to our fisheries programs and and uh, and wildlife programs, and we need to really spend a little bit more time on that. And I have seen the Fish and Wildlife Service move in that direction. I had the privilege um, of also standing up uh, the National Fish Habitat Action Plan as a fish as head of fisheries in this country. And, also, and that meant bringing everyone together, just like we did with the North American uh, waterfowl management plan to say, how can we get state, local, federal, academia, and everyone together here and set some goals. And these partnerships now are all over the, the country. So I, that's one of the things I'm most proud of. And also we've um, gave a lot of money and started the the uh, dam removal program where we remove dams yeah. uh, in many places. So that program was one that I also was really proud to be a part of. Those are all really good ones. Thanks for mentioning that. And maybe, you know, I, I can think of a few things that National Wildlife Federation has worked on that have a nexus with with what you just mentioned there, the, the invasive carp in the Great Lakes and the Mississippi River is one of the campaigns we we're working on quite heavily. Our Great Lakes office is leading that. Um, you, you talked about uh-huh. other invasives and uh, other species that are threatened or imperiled or close. And we have the Recovering America's Wildlife Act, which is uh, something we've been championing for as long as it's been around. We have it here in this Congress again. Maybe it can get over the finish line uh, to help those species that are, you know, in, in need of it in the state wildlife action plans. Um, and, and trying to get hunters and anglers a little bit more engaged in that. We, we know and, and understand that hunters mm-hmm. and anglers appreciate a lot more wildlife beyond what we hunt and fish. And uh, we want to see good habitat and, and, and the species out there thriving. So we're working on that quite heavily. Do you have a, a connection or a, a little plug you want to give us for Rawa there? Yes, yes, yes. I have uh, my fellow board member, um, Karen Terwilliger, and um, she has really, every opportunity she gets, she whispers in my ear, we got to get this thing passed. We have to, we have to work on it. And so I hope that, that those that are listening will do their share in, in connecting to their members of Congress and getting those signatures that we need uh, to make it happen. And even if they have already signed on, send them a thank you note to say, we appreciate yeah. what you're doing. And, uh, and, I, and so I just hope that this is the year that we are able to do that. I want to see, we want to see it, um, you know, because we know that what it means to underground species, particularly, again, non-game as well as game species and habitat. So uh, I don't get it. I don't understand why it's taking this long, but I guess uh, if you just, we have to stick with it and, and um, 
and keep our eye on the prize here that it, it, over time it will happen. Yeah, we'll do a little bit more in the near future. We're going to have some more products uh, out through our channels where we talk about the connection with for hunters and anglers and habitat and those species and, and what folks can do about it. So hopefully our listeners will look for that. Let's talk a little bit about how you got connected mm -hmm. with uh, the National Wildlife Federation. You're on our board of directors and, you know, you have been for a bit here. Talk, talk about how you first came to, to be connected with us. <laughs> So I'll be honest with you, I knew about National Wildlife Federation and the, the great work that that you all were doing in the in the in advocacy, of course. Uh, had limited experience with the environmental education component of the programs that you did. Uh, and and um so had was invited to speak at one of your annual meetings and uh and, and just interacted with some great people there that I either knew already or knew about. And I live in Northern Virginia, really close to the headquarters. Yeah. So over the years, uh, I had a chance to travel past the old headquarters and, uh, and, 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 you know, knew about you all. But after doing that speech, I was in the airport at um, National Airport. And this lady came up to me and she said, you uh, were our speaker at one of our National Wildlife Federation conferences. And I said, yes. And you remember, I don't know if it was Dulles or, or National. And I said, yes. And I said, what fun did I have and how impressed I was with the process of, of how you do your resolutions and your credentials, you know, committees and just the whole the whole affiliates and the roles that they play and all of that. And so we had a conversation about it. And she said to me, you should be on our board. And it was, I, I don't know if you know Andrea. Andrea, uh, she's in development out in Colorado. Yes, I do know Andrea. Yes, and she's great. She's a good friend. <laughs> yep. Okay, well, she, she, she should take credit for me being oh, good. on your board. I didn't know that. Because she was uh-huh. Yes. She brought me here. And uh, and to tell you the truth, I thought, do I want to start over again where I got to get to know people and still, <laughs> you know, learn all of the politics and all of that? So I, I didn't respond very positively in the beginning. I thought, I don't know if I want to do that. But there was a lot of of great people that I encountered over the next year that encouraged me uh, that there was a role to play and a part that I could do to make, to help uh, move the National Wildlife Federation. And it's been like, you know, there's a country and Western song that says life is a dance. You learn as you go. Sometimes you lead and sometimes you follow. <laughs> so I feel like as a board member, I've learned a lot and, 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 and sometimes leading and sometimes following. Well, good. I, I'm glad you're here. You're the kind of board member I, I like with the, you, just so many unique experiences and, you know, a lifetime of, of achievement in, in the wildlife space and, and so many other things. It's, I'm glad you're here. And, you know, I think that's a, a good way to bring up an award you recently got. And I, I want to learn more about this really quick because I, I, I had never even heard of this, believe it or not. And then as I started looking at it, I was uh -huh. like, wow, this is a really cool thing. And it's the, uh, 
the John L. Morris Award. And John L. Morris is, of course, Johnny Morris, as many of us know him, the the founder, I think, of, of Cabela's and, and, and now Bass Pro founder, CEO. And this award is really a lifetime achievement award um, for the stewardship of fish and wildlife, um, who people have ex- exhibited, you know, exemplary leadership in this space. And you won it last year. And I wanted to just ask you how that came to be and, you know, what exactly did you win it for? And just tell us a little bit about that. So I'll tell you, that was the biggest surprise to me for two reasons. <laughs> Number one, I uh, have always admired Bass Pro and what they were all about because they always talked about and promoted conservation, at least in the recent years. And um, and John Morris, I knew about him and some of the programs, uh, you know, what he was doing with his stores when I lived in the in in the state of Missouri. And so, um, so to get the call and hear from people saying that you've won this award uh, from the um, Association of Fish and Wildlife Agencies, and and I like you. I thought maybe they were talking about the wrong person <laughs> for two reasons. Number one, lifetime achievement makes me realize how old I am <laughs> <laughs> and that, you know, <laughs> that it meant looking back over my um, years of service, not only with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, but after leaving the service, having uh, to spend the years uh, working with NGOs pretty much as a volunteer board member, whether it's the Nature Conservancy. The, I now chair the Student Conservation Association, and there are so many conservationists out there that actually are former SCAers, you know, that actually went through Student Conservation Association. So uh, all of those uh, different boards and the work that I've had a chance to do, and just recently, um, been working with uh, the, the Ducks Unlimited board members on their policy committee. And uh, all of those are, are opportunities to learn about programs and to get involved. And so I got the call uh, from the association or an email saying you won this award for your work in fisheries in this country as a, a woman of, of you know color, as well as a, a trailblazer in in the field of conservation and bringing others together. So John, uh, I was sitting eating uh, lunch one day, my husband and I doing COVID because this was an award given during the COVID time. And the phone rang and I answered it. It was my home phone and I thought it was a telemarketer, right? So someone said, Miami, Miami Parker. I said, yes. <laughs> and I was like, uh, he said, and he got quiet. And I thought he was probably saying, who, why would she do me this way? Because I have had a chance to interact with him before. And so he said, this is John L. Mars. And he said, uh, I, a little bird told me that you're about to receive this big award. And he said, and I just couldn't think, think of a better person that could deserve it for all the work that you've done. And and as you can imagine, then I had to apologize first before I shared with him how, what an honor it was to get any award that was named 
uh, after him and uh, because of his work that he's done to promote conservation. And that's something that I've tried to do in, in all walks of life and uh, uh, to be able to consistently do it and stay in the game. Uh, was it's 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 been an honor, and to think about all of those other individuals that Aaron, if you can imagine the people that are eligible for that award yeah. and that have really worked hard. Uh, I believe I was nominated by Ryan Brown, who is uh, the state director in here in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Hmm. Uh, he's a new director there, and uh, I think he may have had something to do with the nomination. Uh, but I'm not sure because I never a actually ask anyone. But um, it's it's really it's up there with the presidential uh, rank award and, and my award from from my family reunion. <laughs> <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> which tells you how important it is yeah. uh, to me. What's well, a distinguished award? And I, I learned about it. Man, some awesome company you're keeping there, and and just congratulations. That's a cool honor. Um, and representing women again. There, there. Uh, I there's not a single woman that had a chance to win that award either. I believe a couple won it, but not a single woman. And so I I have to say too that uh, I stand on the shoulders of many great women in yeah. conservation. And uh, to be able to represent them. Well, you're uh, even at the end of your career, you're still winning. You're still winning big awards, so that's impressive. <laughs> um, well, I know you have to get going. There's still a lot of work. Yeah, yeah, I know you're still working hard too. I mean, maybe at the end of your um, formal career uh, with the Fish and Wildlife Service, because I know you're out there, you're on boards, you're you're running around, you're teaching and and inspiring people all the time. So I know you're still doing a lot of work. Uh, I know I know you have to get going. I wish we could talk for longer. Um, I want to give you a chance before you go is, is just to look into the future for us a little bit. You know, what do you see as our big challenge and our opportunities to to take conservation to the new places it has to go, you know, to, to keep things, keep our fish and wildlife out there for us to enjoy and, and, and the environment taken care of for people. You know, I can imagine you have so many data points to use to think about what that might look like. Tell us a little bit about where you see things headed. So I, I really believe, as I said earlier, we have to do some, we got to recover, restart and renew when it comes to, you know, the pandemic. We have to look at all of the resources that these communities are getting and how do we work collectively to make sure that we're not just taking money and, and throwing it down the drain, that we're working together on some long-term plans to, uh, to make sure those resources are impactful. So uh, whether they are part of, of uh, the stimulus packages where we're talking about a lot of youth programs in this country too, the, the, you know, the conservation cores that NWF is really pushing too. Um, so I see those conservation cores doing what Richard Louvre did in his uh, connecting uh, you know, children to the outdoors 20 years ago, I see this being the next big wave of something that, and I see results of those that 20 years ago. Now you see so many more kids connected to nature, so many kids of color. So uh, looking at the money uh, is one, the Land and Water Conservation Fund, finding ways to trickle that down, not just to areas 
uh, in the countries where the wilderness areas, but also in communities. How do we build back some of these cities with some nice green spaces and parks yeah. and make sure that the urban community will benefit from this these resources? And I, there's not always a voice at the table for them. And so I'm hoping that we have more people thinking about this and in the game. And one of my favorite quotes, I, I've said it before, is Shirley Chisholm, who ran for president, um, back in the 70s, and she said um, basically that uh, if you don't have a seat at the table, bring your folding chair and sit there <laughs> anyway. So what I like, <laughs> I like what I like to do is to see, <laughs> see more people sitting at this table and making uh, a difference and being the voice. So uh, you know, money of course, but it, the three P's that Lynn Scarlett talks about quite a bit. She, of course, is at TNC and a, another one of my sheroes. And, and she says it's people, policies, and practices. And so uh, people-wise representation, we got to make sure that anglers are, are still with us. And it's a lot of anglers and, and hunters are there with us. And that we don't let it become a divided uh you know, yes. group of people that we all in it together. And that's why I love Ducks Unlimited, some of their programs, because they care about science and conservation as they work through uh, that. So, uh, you know, the people, we got to have more people of color engaged in this. We we got to have the Black Caucus will have to have and, and the Hispanic Caucus. And they need to have on their agenda for every one of their meetings something related to conservation and not... Not, not only environmental justice, but also some other conservation programs where uh, that, that becomes a priority for them when they only have a week to get together or a weekend uh, that, you know, we got to raise our awareness. So that's important to them. So we can get people in these agencies so we can get people out in the outdoors as advocates for these programs and see it as value added and not a, a burden, right? It's you know, as I think about it, I'm I'm like the fourth generation of an outdoor woman. So my my grandmother's grandmother was a slave here in the Commonwealth and migrated her way over to Arkansas. But but she was outdoors. She was an outdoors woman. My grandma she fished all of the time too. So this is not something new for us. It's like the song said, I was country when country wasn't <laughs> cool. You know, we've been, <laughs> we've been doing this work. So people, um, practices, of course, you know, making sure that we are continuing to collaborate and work together. And then looking at many of our policies, which is something NWF does a good job on, and, and, and making sure that those policies are 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 effective as well as impactful and 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 being able to market our successes i think is important as well so i see conservation um taking care of those things i see us again i mentioned invasive species they they can eat us alive if we don't work harder uh, uh together to determine ways in which to address those invasive species and not have them as some side program in our in our agencies but but in the in the forefront of the work that we do um and in terms of future i think i might have covered 
many of them that come to my mind right now, but you're right. It's so many more, I'm sure that I left out uh, because internationally and how do we, you know, think about other countries and what they're doing in this, in this, you know, uh, we don't always think about it, but in Fish and Wildlife Service, I learned a lot working with their international affairs people with their trilateral agreements with China, with um, not China, with, with Canada and Mexico. Hmm. Uh, just thinking about how migratory birds are, they don't have any political boundaries. And I just think we need to start uh, doing a better job of connecting with, with other countries and putting more resources there too as well. Well, Mamie, you're, you're an inspiration. Every time I, I talk to you and, and, and watch some of the speeches you've done, I feel, I feel inspired. I love the enthusiasm and the passion. Uh, and, and I just, I'm honored you decided to spend a little time with us today. And I'll keep following you and keep doing your good work and calling us when you need us. Um, I, know you've, I know you've got to get out of here and, and jump to your next meeting and uh, all, the, all the stuff you're working on. So thank you so much for, for spending some time with us. And, you know, congratulations on the award. And thanks for being on the NWF board. And let's keep doing all this good work. Thank you so much, Aaron. And again, as I said, when we first started, I'm just so proud of people like you and I'm proud to be a part of NWF's family, proud to be a conservationist. As I said, some cool hippies, you know, now they're millennial hippies <laughs> and others that are part of this, this whole uh, game. And so I'll say to all of those that are listening today, Thank you for listening. And uh, don't forget to grab your crown on the way out. And for you to keep doing those podcasts that you're doing and keep on rocking it, baby. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, ma'am. I appreciate it. That's an awesome send off. You take care. <laughs> we'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. We are NWF Outdoors. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern, presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.